0: Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast edition. And on today's show, we're going to go over some news items which have been making the rounds. And then there's two shows I want to review. Of course, we're going to go over AEW Dynamite, but we will also go over the second ever edition of NWA Power, Billy Corgan's NWA promotion, with everything that's going on in pro wrestling, with all the news. With all the big talked-about items, the NWA is still finding a way to scratch the surface of what people are talking about and still get their name out there. We're going to talk all about NWA power number two. But the big news that happened this week, Eric Bischoff, less than a, a, just a few months into the job, has been replaced as the executive director of SmackDown by Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard, who already had a very large backstage role in WWE, and WWE has since confirmed that Bischoff is no longer with the company in any role. He had documented on social media and through his podcast that he had picked up and moved to Connecticut for this position, so... After just a few months being let go, after you had a man who's in his 60s moving out to Connecticut for the position, something went wrong. This couldn't have been the plan for either side. But Eric Bischoff out as the executive director of SmackDown and in is Bruce Pritchard. This is not really expected to interfere with the show too much or impact the show too much but still very big news. Now Starcast Conrad Thompson and Starcast, they didn't they didn't waste any time. They knew they wanted to get the exclusive first comments from Bischoff about his summer job as the executive director of Smackdown and so Bischoff has been booked for Starcast 4, which will take place in Baltimore over the same weekend that Full Gear is taking place. So the answers that we don't have today, we'll likely find out that weekend in Baltimore as Eric Bischoff goes to StarCast. Big news out of WWE this week. The next big news we have to travel to Japan for, and this is Bushi Road, which is the company that owns New Japan Pro Wrestling has purchased World Wonder Ring Stardom, the famous Joshi promotion. However, at a press conference in Japan, it was revealed this isn't going to lead to any type of merging between the two promotions. We're not going to see stardom matches on NJPW shows, for instance. They're not going to combine their two separate streaming services, which are New Japan World and Stardom World. But there is, you know, often comments about the differences between Japanese wrestling and North American wrestling in terms of the divisions between men's and women's wrestling. In Japan, it's very common you have men's wrestling promotions and you have women's wrestling promotions. In Lucha Libre and in Mexico, it's all meshed together, and in North America, it there's sort of a mix mash of philosophies as it concerns mixing men's and women's wrestling. But by the sounds of it, this purchasing of Stardom by Bushi Road isn't expected to change anything. I think the idea that they're going with is Bushi Road did a great job of expanding New Japan Pro Wrestling's popularity and they're hoping to do the same with World Ring. World World Wonder Ring Stardom. And of course the other interesting part about this deal is that Stardom has many wrestlers who we've seen regularly in AEW. So we've seen B. Priestley Riho. Uh, B Priestley is the stardom champion. And Riho, who's the AEW women's world champion, she also wrestles with Stardom. Other stardom alumni include Kari Sane, Io Shirai, Dakota Kai, Mia Yim, Diana Perrazzo, and Tessa Blanchard has been there as well. Just another bit of a small news item, Katie Forbes, the girlfriend of current Impact Wrestling star Rob Van Dam, has been signed to Impact Wrestling, and Katie Forbes, uh, well, we've seen her a little bit on the show as of late. She was involved in a backstage altercation with Jordyn Grace on the show last week, and then Grace... Defeated her in singles action that night. She's also been involved in some backstage vignettes as well. So Katie Forbes, the rather flamboyant power lifter, Katie Forbes, I think she'll turn some heads in Impact Wrestling. She has now been signed and is now the newest part of the Knockouts division. Just one more bit of spoiler-free wrestling news before we go into the two shows I want to review. One match has been booked for Friday Night SmackDown on Fox, and it will be for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Just announced shortly before we started recording this, Shinsuke Nakamura will defend his Intercontinental title against Roman Reigns. This all was built up on Twitter. Sami Zayn sent out a tweet basically saying him and Nakamura uh, could have been drafted together. Instead, he got picked in the third round. Um, And he said that they both should have been picked together as one pick and picked ahead of Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns then issued the challenge to Nakamura on Twitter. Nakamura accepted and said, if the Big Dog wants to play, I'll allow him to come into my yard. And he even said he would bring treats for the Big Dog. So that's the first match that we've got on SmackDown from Banker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis on Friday. Roman Reigns challenging for the IC title against the champion Shinsuke Nakamura. All right. So we're going to review two shows here. The first one we're, we're going to review is the second episode of N.W.A. Power. Now, the N.W.A., Billy Corgan's N.W.A., since he took ownership of this group, those that have found this promotion seem to really like it. And last week, after their debut episode which featured a World Heavyweight Championship match between Nick Aldis and Tim Storm. It it featured new names debuting on NWA Powers TV. This was a widely praised show. The Rock, arguably the biggest star in the history of pro wrestling, The Rock took to Twitter and praised the show, the throwback feel to the show. Corey Graves went on Twitter, talked about how he enjoyed the show. NXT UK's Walter was on Twitter, and he praised the show as well. And I think the reason for this is Billy Corgan and the entire NWA has really tried to create a throwback feel to this promotion. And they've taken away some things which some wrestling fans really didn't want in the first place. There's no elaborate entrances. You know how if you turn on to Monday Night Raw or Friday Night Smackdown, a wrestler's entrance is essentially a choreographed dance routine. They come out and they do the same motions to the same music with the same tron. I mean, you don't have to watch it. If there is anything in the world of wrestling which is easy to fast forward, it's a WWE wrestler's entrance because you see them all the time. Not like occasionally somebody will be attacked during the entrance, but when you finish fast forwarding, you should be able to see that. They got rid of that, they got rid of the over the topness that is WWE. And there is a very quaint, like, studio vibe to it. Like, when somebody is cutting a promo, when somebody is being interviewed, you can hear individual voices in the crowd in a way that you never would on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday nights. And sometimes that's okay. And, I mean, sometimes there's somebody in the audience who yells something out that is far less creative than perhaps they thought it was but it still creates this vibe of that person's right there and they're right next to a very small studio audience and the fans at home are in on it. Like, it's a different approach. So instead of looking minor league, like, sometimes you look at, and I don't want to harp on Impact or Ring of Honor or even a little bit MLW, but with their shows being attended with such a less amount of people than for AEW shows, WWE shows, or for a lot of New Japan shows, it can create a feeling of, well, this is minor league compared to the AEW, WWE, and New Japan big leagues. But the way the NWA did it, it was like we've created this small atmosphere on purpose. And, th- and this is a type of wrestling which used to exist that it's almost like it exists in a separate universe to the rest of pro wrestling and you can enjoy it on its own. And for a lot of fans, like the fans who have been enjoying NWA, what you hear is you hear a mix of fans who remember the old NWA TV shows and appreciate that nostalgia throwback feel, but you've also got younger fans who were never exposed to those shows and just see it as something, something else entirely different. But by creating such a unique feel, they've eliminated this whole idea of it feeling minor league. It doesn't feel minor league. It feels like NWA pro wrestling. And that exists in a different universe than WWE. But anyway, let's talk about the actual show. So this show had an entire theme where we're going to get this interview at the end of the night that took place between Joe Gally, Gally? Joe Gally and Nick Aldis. And what I'm sensing from the dynamic between Galley and Aldis is that Aldis wants his public persona in the NWA to be the valiant defending champion who travels around. He wants the fans to support him and see him as what the NWA is all about. But Galley doesn't seem to see Aldis in that light. He makes comments like he had the week prior about. Camille never speaking, but he would say that Aldous never lets her speak. And so you can see Aldous sort of get a little upset at how Gally or Gali, Gali, Gally, uh, <laughs> you could see Aldous get a little bit upset at how he was framing the question, you know, about, well, you, you don't let her speak. Not that she doesn't speak, that Aldous doesn't let her speak, right? And so Golly would imply that Aldous had Camille out there as an insurance policy, which Aldous says. But Golly would say, like, well, why do you need her out there? And so Aldous kind of upset at the framing of this too, because it implies that he's cheating, right? Like he's doing something underhanded. And so we'd be teased throughout the whole show that we're gonna get this, this conflict, this, uh, this, this, you know, this interview later, this no holds barred interview, Galleon Aldis later. But first the former Damien Sandow, Aaron Stevens comes out and he did good. He talks about acting and some of the acting stuff that he's done. But then he started to, you know, at first he seemed like he was very happy to be there. But then his demeanor sort of changed a little bit, and he requested that David Marquez not make eye contact with him during the interview. And this actually led to Marquez trying really hard not to make eye contact with Aaron Stevens. He looked everywhere that he could think of, except for in Stevens's eyes. So this this interview here it started off sort of a wow, welcome back to wrestling Aaron Stevens, but very quickly I think fans got a little bit of a glimpse of Stevens's persona and it might not be uh, you know, he might not be the kind of guy they want to cheer for. So then the first match of the week we had Ricky Starks up against Trevor Murdoch. Of course Trevor Murdoch uh, longtime tag team partner of Lance Cade. He is heavily involved with Harley Race's old promotion and has come out of retirement of sorts to participate in the NWA. And he was facing a guy who's featured in a lot of promotional material for the new NWA, Ricky Starks, who's very much a a cocky cocky sort of I don't know if he's a heel but he's definitely very cocky, very arrogant and he would pick up the win here over the veteran Trevor Murdoch. Uh Starks would pick up the win with a crucifix pinning combination on Murdoch and then afterwards he was interviewed. He was interviewed afterwards and definitely put all the champions in NWA on notice. That he wants the titles, but he also wants all the money that he can make in NWA as well. So then Cold Cabana came out, and so looks like Cold Cabana will be staying involved with the NWA. He is the former NWA national champion. Now he's still a commentator and part-time wrestler for Ring of Honor. NWA and Ring of Honor did end their working relationship earlier this year. However, it looks like Colt Cabana will be participating in events for both promotions. So Cabana came out and talked a little bit about going after some championships in the NWA and said he might go after the tag team titles. And said he even had a partner in mind, and this brought out Mr. Anderson, Ken Anderson, The man who does his own ring introductions, he actually is a, I'm not sure how often he does this, but it was posted on Instagram maybe a couple of years ago, maybe even not that long ago, that he was doing boxing introductions. And I thought that was great that his gimmick turned into a real job for him. Also, with these NWA shows, we've gotten what I'm assuming are fake advertisements that sort of look like they're from the 80s, and these are fantastic. So, on both the two episodes, there was Austin Idol had an ad for his uh, wrestling school, and it's all 80s graphics. And um, I mean, I guess just to create this whole throwback feel. They've created some of the advertisements that you might find on an 80s wrestling program as well, which was just this, I, I mean, it was a great touch. And then they had an ad for Tony Fox, Waffles and Tire Irons. Um, <laughs> I, I can only imagine that the people involved in making these were, were having just an amazing time with them. Um, Oh, so Cole Cabana and Mr. Anderson, they defeated a team of enhancement talent. So I'm not really clear if Cabana Cabana and Anderson are going to continue as a team, but uh, Mr. Anderson in the NWA, uh, that's that's definitely a guy who you would have to expect will challenge for some titles in the promotion in the not-too-distant future, but Cole Cabana as well. So we're starting to get... An idea of who are going to be the big names in this promotion. So they've got names like Colt Cabana, Ken Anderson, Eli Drake, James Storm, Nick Aldis. I mean, they're building a roster. And also as it concerns building a roster, we had the NWA Women's World Champion, Allison Kaye. And she defeated Ashley Vox in a non-title match. This match seemed as though it was like the introduction to the NWA women's division. And so after the match was over, Kay cut a promo and shook Vox's hand and said that her future is bright, just not with her championship. And Kay sort of cut a promo about how we're going to see some great women's wrestlers in the NWA women's division, and we're going to see some great wrestling in the NWA Women's division, and so we'll just have to see who the NWA brings in from here. Then we had uh, they tried to interview Tim Storm. Now, Tim Storm challenged for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship last week, he was unsuccessful, and that actually meant he's lost the right to ever challenge for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship again. And he was too distraught after the loss. He couldn't talk and he walked away. At this point, we got a promo from Cowboy James Storm, the NWA national champion. And he reinforced the idea that the NWA national championship is like a front-of-the-line pass for the NWA world's heavyweight championship. And during this promo, Eli Drake came out. And implied that maybe Nick Aldis is ducking James Storm. I think Storm actually did get an NWA World Title shot, not on an NWA show, but like a while ago. So Drake implied, "Hey, maybe Aldis is ducking you. Maybe you should go out and sort of, sort of implying that maybe all that uh, maybe Storm should go out and demand a title shot." And then Drake said, "Hey, if you win the ten pounds of gold." Whether you lose, I want a shot at whatever belt you're carrying at that time, whether it's the NWA World Heavyweight Championship or the National Heavyweight Championship. So Eli Drake sort of insinuating himself into the title picture. And then the main event, well, the main event match. Because we've been... We've had it built up all throughout the show that the main event is this interview with Joe Gali and Nick Aldis, But the main event match was for the NWA Tag Team Championships. It was Thomas Latimer and Royce Isaacs, the wild cards. If you remember at the Crockett Cup, they won the wild card battle royal and then made it all the way to the finals before losing to PCO and Brody King. They then won the titles... Uh, at an ROH show not long ago. And then they come in here and are looking to defend the titles against a team called Outlaw Inc. They were previously known as the OGs in Impact Wrestling, along with Hernandez, and it's the team of Eddie Kingston and Homicide. But this match would be thrown out and ruled a no contest as the Dawson's ran in and interfered in the match, taking out uh, both teams, the referee. Now, we first saw the Dawson's on uh, the first episode of NWA Power. They just won a squash match. So it looks like the Dawson's want wanted to let it be known that they are a top team in the tag team division. And they want to insinuate themselves into the NWA Tag Team Championship picture. Then finally, the big final segment is this interview that we've had built up all show long between Joe Golly and Nick Aldis. Now, this is what I took away from this interview. What I've taken away from it is that Joe Golly sees Nick Aldis as the kind of wrestler who will take shortcuts to win a match and who is perhaps someone that the fans of NWA shouldn't cheer, or won't want to get behind. Nick Aldis views himself as this noble, fighting, traveling champion. And so this rift exists between the main broadcast journalist, well maybe not the main, but a broadcast journalist for the NWA, and Nick Aldis, as it concerns how Nick Aldis is presented to the public, and so right away, Golly asks about Camille. Like, what? Why does Nick Aldis need Camille? And Aldis said, "Well, if you remember, at All In, I lost the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, and I didn't have anybody at the ring." With me, Cody had DDP, he had Pharaoh, he had Brandy, all these people helping him. And so he thought, after that match, I better even the odds. So he got an insurance policy named Camille. And, it, and when Camille is asked a question, Camille declines answering. She was asked a question. She just kind of tapped her microphone and sort of looked at Gali like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not answering anything. And so Aldous sort of said, hey, and that's the last I want to hear about me not letting her speak, as if to say it's her who doesn't want to speak. And then Aldous asked Gali a question. He said, have you ever seen Camille interfere in a match where she wasn't just fending off other interference, outside interference, and Golly had to admit that he uh, he could not think of anything off the top of his head. And so, the and after the interview, it's clear that the rift between these two still exists. Aldous not agreeing with Joe Golly's skepticism regarding Aldis's sportsmanship, let's say. And this is a story that I think NWA fans are going to want to keep track of as NWA power rolls on. It could end up being one of the more important angles going on in all of pro wrestling also announced on this show, well, they announced on the first show that they would be going back to the Georgia Public Broadcasting Studios in mid-December. This week they announced that on the December 14th show, it will be a live pay-per-view. And so that's pretty exciting. NWA getting into live pay-per-view. Well, not getting into it. They've had the Crockett Cup. They've had the 70th anniversary show. I thought both of those were great. I was just worried I was one of only a few that that watched the show. Uh, you know, you have this promotion which is building up a fan base but don't have a large TV network or distribution company behind them and then they have a pay-per-view behind a, a paywall. Now, I, I don't know how well the pay-per-view did but it was an enjoyable show to watch and Fans who have been appreciative of the NWA's throwback style as of late likely would have really enjoyed or did enjoy if they saw it the 70th anniversary show in the Crockett Cup. But let's move on to all elite wrestling dynamite this week coming from the Leah Chorus Center. And this week, as opposed to last week, Jim Ross. Did give the name of the arena with far more confidence. Uh, He was a little thrown up with it, uh, or thrown off with it, last week when they were in Boston's Agaris Center. All right. So the first match to start things off this week was in the Tag Team Title Tournament. Now, before this match could even start. So SCU is coming to the ring, and on a previous episode of AEW Dynamite, the members of SCU had said that Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian would be the two wrestlers to represent their team in the tournament. And the idea here is that for a three-person team, you can't be rotating which two represents your team in a single elimination tournament because that would then give those teams an advantage over the two-person teams because if somebody gets hurt on the three-person team, you can just sub them out. Well, somebody did get hurt for both SCU and Jurassic Express, but it was before the tournament even started. So... It appears AEW has allowed for a last-minute submission in each case. So coming into tonight, Luchasaurus, it was announced he was down with a leg injury, and so he was replaced by Marco Stunt. And so Marco Stunt would team with Jungle Boy. Now in the first match, which was SCU versus The Best Friends, as SCU is coming down to the ring, the Lucha Bros attack you remember, the Lucha Bros and SCU had a pull apart recently on AEW Dynamite. I don't know if that was last week or two weeks ago, but recently. And Pentagon gave Christopher Daniels a package pile driver on the ramp. And Daniels had to be taken out with a stretcher. So Scorpio Sky comes out. He's not dressed to wrestle, but he tapes up his hands. And so it's announced that Scorpio Sky will replace Christopher Daniels. And so now the SCU team is Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian. So they're taking on the best friends. And unbelievably, well, maybe not unbelievably, but uh, kind of a big surprise. SCU picked up the win uh, over... It looked like they might have sort of messed up their finisher at the end there, but they did get the pin on Trent. And so they will advance to next week, and they'll face the Dark Order. But we now know that it won't be Christopher Daniels and Kazarian participating for their team in this tournament. It'll now be Scorpio Sky and Kazarian. So even though they won an advanced, It will still have implications for the rest of the tournament uh, for SCU. And Christopher Daniels, we don't know how long he's going to be injured for. So next up, Santana and Ortiz came out representing the inner circle. And they took on John Silver and Alex Reynolds. This was very much... A match where Santana and Ortiz got to showcase what they can do. They won quickly with a street sweeper. After the match on the Videotron, Chris Jericho appeared and issued a challenge on behalf of Santana and Ortiz to the Young Bucks for a tag team match at Full Gear So we're starting to get more of a lineup for the November 9th pay-per-view in Baltimore. Santana and Ortiz versus the Young Bucks. This is a match or a rivalry which (laughs) took place on Chris Jericho's cruise uh, last year. Then we got a video package of Cody training, DDP... Cody's mother. We're both interviewed. Brandy as well. Then we have the AEW Women's World Championship match Dr. Britt Baker DMD challenging Riho. And this coming just two weeks after Riho becoming the inaugural Wait a second. When did she become the AEW Women's World Champion? Yeah, was it two weeks ago? Anyway, the first Women's World Championship title defense, Riho versus Dr. Britt Baker. Now, weeks one and two of AEW Dynamite, we saw Britt Baker bust out a new move. And what she will do, this woman who spent six years in dental school and knows all the nerve endings in the mouth, on the tongue, in the teeth, and she sticks her fingers into somebody's mouth. And then that person submits. It's happened two weeks in a row. And then at the end of this match, Britt Baker, she's going for her finish. She's going to stick her fingers in Riho's mouth. Riho, however, is closing her, trying to keep her mouth closed. And then counters it into a roll-up and gets the three count. Riho retains the AEW Women's World Championship match. On commentary after the match, the way this was played up was that Riho's experience, her experience advantage over Dr. Britt Baker, Riho, who started training in pro wrestling at nine years old, it was her experience that was too much for Britt Baker, and it was the smart counter to her opponent's finisher, which won the match for the champion. Next up, we had the Lucha Bros going up against Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. The Jurassic Express, as we mentioned before, Luchasaurus uh, out with a leg injury, so he wasn't in this match. It started off with Jurassic Express surprisingly doing quite a bit of offense or getting in quite a bit of offense. Uh, However, it would quickly turn into the Lucha Bros. Uh, getting in quite a bit of offense on their two uh, much younger and less experienced opponents. Uh, Marco Stunt was eventually in the ring by himself with Pentagon, who uh, would get the pin with a package pile driver, but Phoenix and Pentagon had delivered quite a bit of offense to Stunt in the lead-up to that, and Stunt had heroically kicked out Just being so greatly outmatched. Now you have to kind of wonder, I mean the Lucha Bros attacked another team in this tournament injuring injuring somebody in, in, the, in the process. You have to wonder if AEW management is going to play some type of fine or issue some type of uh, disciplinary measure to the Lucha Bros for their pre-match ambush. On the members of SCU. And we had Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. Tagging up against Pac and John Moxley. And. We've got Moxley versus Omega coming up. On the pay-per-view. And these two. I mean. On the first episode. Uh, Moxley grabbed Kenny Omega and and DDT'd him through a a glass table. That might have been the second episode, but uh, no, that was the first episode. DDT'd him through a glass table. Then last week, they were going to duke off with barbed wire-covered brooms and chairs, but Pac attacked Kenny Omega from behind and sort of left him for John Moxley to go after him, but Moxley didn't want to attack Omega that way. And Omega had offered Moxley a weapon before they were going to face off last week. So what we're getting between Pac, or sorry Moxley and Omega is this, I want to kill you, but I respect you. I want to kill you fairly. And within, within the rules of good sportsmanship. But Pac, he's a bastard. He doesn't care about any of that. And that's why he attacked Omega from behind last week. And this week, he wanted to use weapons on Moxley again. So he had uh, Pac is trying to encourage Moxley to use a barbed wire covered baseball bat or a chair or barbed wire broom or whatever they had out there. But Moxley didn't want to do it. Then Moxley uh, hits Pack in the stomach, gives him the DDT, and bails on him. And so that leaves Pack in the ring by himself to take uh, the buckshot lariats and finishers from both Omega and Page, and then Pack taking his first loss in AEW He gets pinned in this tag team match here. Now, they've already booked it for next week. Pac versus John Moxley. And Pac is going to get his revenge. And you would have to imagine that Kenny Omega is going to be watching this match closely. Then we get our main event of the night. And I was surprised that we didn't get more build-up to this match. Like, we didn't get more vignettes. We didn't get pre-match comments from Darby Allen, but regardless, we got Darby Allen versus Chris Jericho in a Philadelphia street fight. And Jericho would lock the lion tamer on Darby Allen and then sort of suspiciously Darby Allen would get to the ropes and this caused a rope break. In a Philadelphia street fight match. And it actually happened again later in the show. So how I can make sense of this is that it's a Philadelphia street fight. But there's still some basic rules you have to adhere to. Like perhaps you still have to adhere to rope breaks or you can't straight up use a gun to win the match. Like maybe there are some... Unwritten rules that the fans just don't know about. The other possible way to make sense of this is that the referee forgot what type of match it was, and Jericho just decided, you know what, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. Or everybody decided what type of match it was. Anyway, some of the fans started to chant, it's a street fight at one point, but anyway, Jericho would wrap Darby Allen's hands. uh, He would tape his hands behind his back, but Allen would uh, launch a comeback even with his hands tied behind his back. Now he would go for the coffin drop. However, Jake Hager came out and hit Darby Allen in the head and this allowed Jericho to lock in the lion taper once more. Darby Allen submitted And the show would finish with Jericho's inner circle celebrating in the ring after Jericho successfully defends the AEW World's Championship for the first time. And so now next week, we have a pretty good show. We've got the semifinals. We've got Moxley versus Pac. They also said on the show that the Young Bucks will be in action next week. And so we're starting to get a better idea of what we're gonna see at Full Gear as well. But there's still some matches that we don't know at Full Gear. If we're gonna get a women's world title match at Full Gear, they're gonna have to do something to determine a new top contender in the next couple of weeks. The tag team champions will be determined in two weeks if they're going to have a match on the pay-per-view at full gear, a contender to their titles is going to have to be determined in addition you know, to the tournament itself concluding in two weeks. But we've gotten a little bit more. We know that the Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz is going to take place on that show. And... Now we know for sure it'll be Chris Jericho versus Cody. Well, we know that Chris Jericho will be the champion going into full gear unless they schedule another title match for him between now and then. But that was AEW Dynamite number three. We'll review NXT a little later in the week, on the weekend. And just wanted to give you guys NWA power and AEW dynamite. So thanks again, everybody, for supporting this website, our YouTube channel, and this podcast. You can also check out the podcast I'm doing with Jeff Moss, which is up on the site right now as well, where we relive the Monday Night War from 1996. Oh my God, so much fun. I'm actually just about to watch Raw from June, like June 3rd, 1996 uh quite a lot of interesting stuff happening so i'll hope uh, so i hope you'll check that out as well thanks again everyone i'm the i guy from spoiler free wrestling